This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, friends. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P., your host. Today on the podcast, I wanted to talk about breathing. I'm going to talk about this from a couple of different angles. Now, I've mentioned on the podcast before that about a year ago, I was diagnosed with asthma. And when I was talking to my doctor about it, initially I went in during the winter months. And here in Salt Lake, with the mountains all around us, we can often get during the winter, and sometimes now we're starting to get it during the summer months too. But during the winter months, we get what we call the inversion, which is where um, the colder air gets trapped between the mountains gets trapped down in the valley and there's a lot of pollution and a lot of smog and it's kind of nasty. And if you were to go up to the ski resorts, if you were to go up, you know, in the above the inversion, you would see blue skies, beautiful day. I mean, as long as it's not snowing, right? And you would get out of the inversion and you could look down into the valley from the mountains and you would see kind of that layer of green smog and pollution. I mean, not green. Did I say green? I mean, gray layer of pollution and smog that covers the valley. And so it was during one of these winters during the inversion that I went into the doctor and just said, I'm really having a hard time exercising and breathing. And I think it's due to the air quality. I, you know, and he asked some questions like, do you have a history of asthma? And I said, no, two of my kids have had it. They both grew out of it, but I've never had it. And I think it's just due to the air quality, which happens for a lot of people. So he put me on a rescue inhaler that I would just use prior to exercising. And I did this, you know, for several months through the, through the winter months and out of the inversion and then stopped when the air kind of cleaned up come spring, I stopped using my rescue inhaler and found that that didn't work. I couldn't stop using the rescue inhaler. And so I started using again and went back into the doctor and just said, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe it's not air quality. Maybe I have, at first I said, maybe I have exercise-induced asthma because when I stopped using the rescue inhaler, I was still having a hard time breathing even though the air quality is cleared up. So he started asking me several questions. And, you know, and, and I've had a history. I told him I've had a history of, you know, when I was younger, if I played sports much. And I said, yeah, I did play sports. Um, but I, I said, I would always say as a kid, I don't have runner lungs. And he was like, what does that, what does that mean? What are runner lungs? And I said, well, I think, um, I mean, I don't know. This is kind of what I'd come up with as a kid. And as I'm saying this to my doctor, I'm realizing how ridiculous it sounds. But I said, I don't know. I, I just think runners have like longer, leaner lungs and mine must not be. And so I, I just can't play sports like continuously. I'd have to stop and like breathe and stuff. And he said, well, what you know, what happens with your, you know, because you don't have these runner lungs. And I said, well, if I don't stop, like I just get really winded and I start coughing and I have to really stop and catch my breath. I can't like just play continuously. And, you know, he kind of got a smile on his face and he said, I think that's asthma. Like, I I think that's not about runner lungs. I think that's asthma. And I was kind of like, yeah, as I'm hearing myself say this out loud, it does sound a lot like asthma, that I've had this problem pretty much my whole life. So um, anyway, so I've been using a rescue inhaler and it's worked really well. One of the things though that I've become aware of is because I had this non-treated 
asthma condition, my breathing, I mean, I, I can breathe. I can, you know, I'm, I'm alive, right? So I'm breathing enough to the point where I'm managing to survive. But what I've been realizing since I've been using this inhaler on a regular basis is that I don't always breathe well. Now, if I'm doing a meditation or something like that and I'm sitting down and I'm really focused on my breath, then I think I do good breathing. But one of the things I've had to shift and become aware of is that I do a lot of um, chest breathing. I do the upper chest breathing and not the deeper diaphragmatic breathing. And, and so if somebody were to say to me when I first started meditation, right, and they'd say, get a good breath, I tended to, I don't, if you can imagine this, right, I tended to like elongate and kind of like move my shoulders and my chest up to get that long breath. And what I started learning as I was, you know, figuring out diaphragmatic breathing is that actually the, the body doesn't necessarily go up to get that deep breath, but the abdomen extends out beyond where the chest is, right? So it's actually your abdomen is kind of like this balloon filling up with air. And that's where you get the deep, long breath, not just kind of making your chest kind of get a deeper breath. And so I I started to realize that I have most of my life been a shallow breather and a chest breather. Now, a couple years ago, it was about four years ago, I was reading through one of my journals the other day. And so this was about four years ago, actually, Yeah, it was four years ago, I think. And I had been invited out to, there's a residential treatment center out in Tennessee. And I had been invited for what they called a a professional's weekend. And at that time in my life, I was going through some transition. Some things were going on that were just demanding a lot of my time. And I didn't have a lot of free time. And so when this invitation came, my first thought was, I, I, I can't do this. I can't afford to be gone, you know, for a whole weekend from work. And I felt like I would get further behind. And then I also thought, and if I am away from work, I probably should spend that with my family because my family's been somewhat neglected over the last little while while I've been in this period of transition and been having to be, uh, my attention had to be elsewhere more than usual. And so I thought, you know, I, I just don't know that I can say yes. Now, fortunately, at that time in my life, I was going to a quarterly, it was like a, it was a group that we were in and it was the same group and we met quarterly for three years. And so I had that group meeting that I was down in Arizona for. And so I was talking about this situation in my group and just mentioning, like, I just don't think that I have time for this. And one of the things I was working on in that in that, that time in my life was trusting a higher power, trusting the universe to put in my life what I needed, even if I didn't realize that. Fortunately, my group had seen this and connected the dots earlier than I had. And so when, when I was talking about this and explaining how I just didn't think I'd had the time to go, Uh, Several of the group members pointed out that this was one of the things I had said that I wanted to work on and that I wanted to be able to trust life and trust a higher power to put into my life those things that I needed and things that were bigger than me. And so I responded to the invitation, said yes. And like I said, because I was really busy, um, I didn't think much more of it. It was like the invitation came like six weeks um, in advance. And so I said yes and then just kind of put it out of my mind because I had so many other things to focus on. So the night before I'm leaving, my second daughter is asking me, like, what exactly are you going to be doing this weekend? And I told her, I said, you know, I, I have no idea. 
like I actually haven't even thought about it until tonight where I'm like, oh, I better pack. And so I packed some things and got some things ready and got on my flight the next day, had a stopover in Denver. So I'm sitting in Denver and my mind says, oh, I think you got an email like a week ago about this professionals weekend. So I pulled it up on my phone sitting at the Denver airport and the email is entitled what to bring list. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, that probably would have been better to read before I'm sitting in the Denver airport and my bag is on a plane, right? And so I kind of start going through the what to bring list. And I had packed, you know, it was a professional's weekend, right? So I had packed for a professional's weekend. And as I'm reading through the list, not very many of the things that I needed would have been packed for a professional's weekend. And I'm reading things like bring a pair of hiking boots. Nope, don't have those. You know, bring a pair of shorts. Nope, don't have that. So I was just like, oh no, what am I going to do? Fortunately, you know, I, they picked me up, took me to Walmart on the way to the to the ranch is where it was called. So that I could get the things that I had not brought because I hadn't read my what to bring list. So I, we're there. Um, you know, this was kind of the beginning of this I didn't know this at the time, but this was the beginning of there's going to be a whole lot of things that I'm not fully prepared to do and not even aware that this is going to happen, right? And that example in the Denver airport was really this foretelling of what my weekend was going to hold. And there was a lot of great things that happened that weekend. I was so glad that I said yes. And at the same time, I was uncomfortable and put outside of my comfort zone for most of the weekend. So the second day into our weekend, we participated in a Native American sweat lodge. Now, I've, I had up to that point, I'd never participated in a Native sweat lodge, and I didn't really know that much about it other than it was a spiritual ritual and kind of a cleansing in the body of toxins and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I didn't know what to prepare for. I had remembered, you know, earlier, maybe a year before I had read about, um, some people participating in a sweat lodge, I think it was in Arizona, and that they had, like some of them had passed away. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is not something I'm familiar with other than this horrible news story. But they assured me, you know, that our host totally knew what he was doing, that he had been doing sweat lodges throughout his whole life, and that we would be perfectly safe. And we were. Um, So our leader, Daniel, told us, as we sat in a close-knit circle inside the lodge about the symbolism of a sweat lodge and the symbolism of rebirth. And the lodge itself represents the female or the womb and that the hot rocks that they've been baking in a fire for many hours prior to our starting the process was symbolic of the male and that they would bring the hot rocks into the womb, right? And that what happened then in the womb was this rebirth, right? Was this birthing process. So he told us what the focus would be for each of the four rounds that we got started. And then we got started. They had told us to expect to be in the sweat lodge for six hours, which from what I remember them saying is not, it's a little bit shorter than what a typical sweat lodge sitting is. So the rocks were placed, the herbs were sprinkled, the water was poured, and then the door was closed. And it was black. It was dark. It was very hot and it was very humid with the, with the water on the hot rocks, just all of that humidity that that created. So my tendency 
was to, uh, immediately I went to very shallow breaths and I was, I was very aware of that. And it didn't seem to me at the time that if I were to take long breaths, right, like deep diaphragmatic breaths, it didn't seem to me that with the heat and the level of humidity that that would be a good idea. Now, let me just add here too, like, again, I'm in Salt Lake. When when it's a humid day in Salt Lake, I mean, we may be talking like, wow, it's 25% humidity, right? And that's pretty humid here. So I'm also, you know, not really used to humidity. And so I started immediately just taking these very shallow breaths. And I was kind of told like, actually, what you need to do is to get into those diaphragmatic breaths and really take some some deep breaths. And so despite my reasoning and despite what I thought was my best judgment, I pushed beyond the short, shallow breaths and took a long, deep breath. And this allowed my lungs to fill to capacity because the air was so hot and so humid. I could literally feel the breath come in through my nose, travel through my body and go all the way to the core. And much to my surprise, it felt good. It didn't feel like I was burning, right? It didn't feel like something bad was happening inside my body. It actually felt really good. So sometime in round three, as I was laying on the cool, damp dirt floor of the lodge with my eyes closed, right? Because it's really hot at this point. If you've ever been in a sweat lodge, it's really hot and you the dirt ground, the kind of the mud ground is actually pretty cool. And so you just kind of lay totally on the ground. So I'm laying on the the cool ground with my eyes closed and I'm concentrating just on my breathing. And this thought occurred to me because again, we're talking about birth. We're talking about the symbolism of um, conception and all these things of the sweat lodge. And so this thought occurred to me and it just simply said, when I entered this world, I claimed my life by breathing. And while I don't remember that experience I would imagine that it wasn't easy, right? I've been on the other side of that experience where I was giving birth and that surely wasn't easy. And I would imagine, while I can't remember it, that the birthing process for the infant is also not an easy process. So I would think that there was some struggle involved. And in this moment that we all have a choice, right? When we're born in this moment of transition, in this moment of messiness and hardness and struggle, we all have a choice. We can claim our life by taking a breath or we can let our life slip past us and not claim it and never breathe. And as I was thinking about this thought and it was kind of going around in my head, one of the thoughts I had is if this is how I claim my life, right? If, if breathing is how I claim my life every day, every moment, the deeper, the better, right? Living life deeper, breathing deeper, all of it is better. So that's, that's one experience. Now I want to talk a little bit about something I've been doing currently. So, um, in January, I decided I'd been thinking about it for a couple of months. I hadn't really talked to anybody about it, but I had been thinking about it myself. And so in January, I looked into signing up for swim, swim lessons for adult one-on-one swim lessons. And so I found somebody, got myself signed up, selected a date. So I'm telling my family, right? My kids were home from college and I'm telling them like, I'm going to start taking swim lessons. And my one daughter said, you know how to swim. And I said, well, I, I'm not going to drown. Right. And if that's swimming, then yes, I'm not going to drown. And I can even like move myself across, you know, whatever they've been around me. They know that I, I can swim. Right. But if we're talking about an art form, then no, I don't know how to swim, right? So I told my kids, I said, well, I took swim lessons for 
I don't know, three, four, maybe five summers. I don't know if it would be five. But I took swim lessons for probably at least three or four summers, right, with the neighborhood kids in a group. And we had a lot of fun. And one of the things that I remember from swim lessons was I was a kid is that I never quite mastered the breathing, right? Which was difficult. So I always wanted to hold my nose, to plug my nose because otherwise water would come up and you get that yucky feeling and it makes your eyes squint. And you, I just hated that, right? But I could never quite master how to breathe and swim without plugging my nose, which makes it somewhat difficult to swim, right? And then the other thing I remember about swim lessons is one of the kids that we carpooled with hit his head. No, it was his chin. Hit his chin on the side of the swimming pool and it split open. Blood was everywhere. My mom had driven the carpool that day, had to rush over, calm him down. We had to get his mom and get him stitches. So that's basically what I remembered about swim lessons, right? I remembered it was a lot of fun going with neighborhood kids and friends, but I didn't really feel like You know, if I wanted to, as I get older, one of the things I've been thinking about is as I get older, it would be nice to be able to swim for exercise, right? And add that to one of the things that I'll do for exercise. But I I didn't feel like if I just went to a swimming pool and started swimming laps, I was like, no way could I do that, right? So I signed myself up for swimming lessons, started attending swimming lessons in January. And one of the things that I learned actually in the first lesson, I totally figured out breathing underwater. And I was just like, you know, three or four summers, I couldn't master that. And this I picked up like literally in the first 15 minutes of my lesson, I was like, oh, I got it. Now, sometimes I'm still like, sometimes I still revert back and breathe out of my mouth, but I have never had to much to my swim instructor's pride, right? I've never tried to plug my nose. I think he would like, be like, what are you doing if I plugged my nose while I was swimming? So sometimes I forget to actually breathe out of my nose, but I've never had to plug my nose. Um, and, and I'm getting better. I am getting better. But one of the things that I started to realize is I'm going to have to figure out breathing, right? Like I still have not totally mastered breathing as much as I've had to focus on it, as much as I've tried to learn this breathing skill, I, I haven't fully mastered it yet. My swim instructor assures me, though, that that swimming actually is really good to figure out that whole breathing connection. So I'm trusting him. I go every week, and then I have to practice in between my lessons. And I have to find this rhythm. Now, one of the things he would tell me as he was watching me swim across the pool and observing me is he would say, you turn your head to breathe, and then it's like you panic, like, oh, I'm not getting enough breath. And then I lift my head up to get that breath, which is more kind of that animal brain, right? Um, because I'm, I'm panicked, which then makes my body sink down. And then it's harder to get back into the swimming motion. And so I've really been working on that. I've been used to just, you know, having water in my mouth, having water in my face, just being able to kind of just roll to the side, take a breath in and get right back into the water and not really lift my head up. And I'm not, I haven't mastered it yet, right? I can tell I'm getting better. He's saying I'm getting better. Um, And it takes time. And one of the things I, you know, I went swimming the other day. I woke up in the morning. It was a Saturday, went swimming and it was just hard. Um, I I kept at it. I did it the whole time. But by the time I was finished, my legs were kind of shaky. I just felt exhausted and it was harder that day. And I got, as I got in the car to come back home, I thought, Ah, that I didn't love that. Like I didn't enjoy that time swimming, but I just thought, you know what? I've got to keep at it. Like 
transition, learning new things, picking up things. It's always messy. It's always hard. And so that's where I am, right? I'm just in that stage of, I don't have it yet. I want to get it. I know I want to get it, but I don't have it yet, right? That's that transition stage. And and it's difficult. Um, But I remembered when I was first taking yoga, one of the things I was going to a yoga studio, I really enjoyed it. But I don't, you know, I'm, I'm short, I'm 5'2", and I don't have long legs, long arms. You can't, right? If you're 5'2", you're not going to be really lengthy. And so oftentimes, you know, they'd be like, cross your leg over and then wrap it around. And like, by the time I've crossed it over, I'm like, I'm out, right? I'm out of leg or I'm out of arm or whatever that is. And the instructor would say, you know, or adjust or adjust. And at first that was really frustrating to me, right? At first I was like, I want longer legs. I want like, how come I can't do all of this? How come I always have to adjust? And once I got out of like taking it personal, right? And getting all in my head about not being able to do it fully. One of the things that I picked up from yoga that I really loved was this lesson about honoring your body, right? And that every day, if if you had a daily yoga practice, that it would look different every day because our body is evolving, it's changing. Oftentimes on the day-to-day things, we aren't necessarily aware of the minor shifts and changes that our body's going through. However, if you... If you take a yoga class and you're doing it daily, you have a daily yoga practice, you'll quickly learn that like, actually my body is, even if it's, you know, maybe this day I'm a little more limber and I can stretch a little bit further and then tomorrow, not so much. And it's about accepting and honoring your body where it is and just, you know, being able to accept that, not wish it to be something different, not begrudge it because it's not what you want it to be, but to be able to just really accept that and say, this, this is my body, right? And this is where this is. So back to swimming, I had to remind myself, like, this is the place that I'm in right now. And it's not natural to me. It's still, I'm still struggling to learn that breathing process, right? I'm still trying to find my breathing rhythm. Exactly. I can tell that I've made progress and I'm really happy about that. And I can tell that my stroke is coming along much better. One of the things though, for me that my instructor had to point out was that I go fast, right? And, and I've been told that before about different things in my life. I just kind of move quickly like, oh, here it is. Let's go. And so one of the days I was at swimming lessons and my instructor was, was telling me like, you need to move slower, you know, so your arms are kind of one, 1,000, two, 1,000, so that it's going much slower than what I was naturally doing. And then he was showing me like, he wasn't actually showing me, he was telling me, and then you just kind of turn your head while it's still in the water, but your mouth is enough out that you don't let air in when you grab that breath. And he was like, does that make sense? And I said, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then I had to stop for a minute, right? Because this is me going with it. Like, and this is me moving too fast. And so I said, actually, no, I don't know what you're talking about. My brain is filling in. I hear what you're saying and my brain is filling that in, but I've never really paid that much attention or, or watched other people swim. And so when you're talking about this, I, I don't actually get it. And so I, you know, I just said, would you 
Like you do what you want me to so I can see how I'm, how it's supposed to look. And so he was like, oh yeah, okay, great. Now up to that point, he had done things like he had taken video when I was swimming, like with my phone and would show me like, see, this is what you're doing and you, you need to do it different. But this was the first time I was like, actually, instead of watching me do it wrong, let me watch you do it right because I don't know what it's supposed to look like, right? So that's that asking for help, asking for somebody who's figured it out. Show me what that looks like. So he did and he swam the length of the pool and I was like, oh, that is not what I would have thought that it looked like. And there were just some like small details that I noticed as I was watching him that if I hadn't asked to see that, right, and my brain instead was just filling in his request of what I needed to do, I would not have picked up on those little techniques and the little skills. I had no idea, right, like his head was so low in the water, even when he turned to breathe, that I was like, oh, I like I never would have pictured that that was what it looked like. So again, sometimes we need to say to somebody, can you show me how you do it? And then maybe I can see that and learn how to do it like you, right? Watch and learn instead of hearing and learning, right? That doesn't work as well. And then again, just reminding myself, I have to remind myself like slow down, which when we're thinking about diaphragmatic breathing, right? If we have that deep belly breathing going on, naturally our whole system relaxes and it calms down, right? That's what that diaphragmatic breathing says to our brain everything's good. Everything's fine, right? If danger were to enter, we don't do deep belly breathing when we're in danger, right? Because it takes too long. And so when danger comes, right? And let's remember that our brain doesn't necessarily differentiate between physical danger or emotional danger. So when danger is detected, our breathing goes shallow and it prepares for fight, flight, freeze, right? So if I've been shallow breathing most of my life, of course I'm moving quicker, right? That's what my brain senses is like, I can't just fully relax and calm down. And so I was talking to my instructor just a little bit about this. I wasn't kind of going into much depth. And he, he said to me, he said, look, my personal belief, he said, I think most people don't breathe very well. And, you know, I said, well, that's interesting. I, all I know is that I don't breathe very well. I mean, I, I breathe well enough to stay alive, right? But, but there's more to the art of breathing, I'm realizing, than just figuring it out, right? And just taking breaths and letting it go. And so I've noticed as I've been, one of the things that I've practiced a lot out of the pool is just like when I'm driving in my car, right? I just take those big, deep belly breaths, um, I do this throughout my day, right? Just kind of pause and take a good breath into the belly and notice what shifts in my body, right? Because I, for me, I feel a shift. And I bet if you do that too, you will also feel a shift. And it's easier to go kind of calm and slow and rhythmic when our breathing is more deep and slower, um, another example I wanted to use as I was thinking about this, there was a time that came up for me when I was in elementary school, right? And I was trying to learn to cross the monkey bars. Now, part of learning to cross the monkey bars, right, is you have to have your arms somewhat long enough, right? Like probably most four-year-olds can't cross the monkey bar simply because they're, the, the breadth of their 
um, arms is not enough to kind of get them across. But I think I was in, I, I was like first or second grade. And this one day I'd been trying the week at school to really figure out the monkey bars. I hadn't gotten it yet. So I went there on a Saturday with some friends and we were determined that we were going to figure out the monkey bars. And one of the things, you know, eventually we just kept trying and trying and trying. And I remember eventually I got it one time and I was like, I got it. And my friend was saying, how did you do it? How did you do it? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I can't tell you what I did, but I kept being able to cross on the monkey bars, right? It wasn't just one time. I did it a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And so my friend was watching me again, right? She's watching me so she can learn how to do it. And, and I remember her saying, oh, you have to let go of the bar before you grab the next one. And that thought had never really occurred to me that that's what I was doing, right? I was letting go just milliseconds before I was able to grab the next, right? To kind of get that swing and move me from this bar to the next bar, I had to let go before I grabbed on. Now, like I said, in monkey bars, right, that's a millisecond or less, right? That I'm that I'm actually suspended in air and I'm, I don't have a hold of either bar. But if you think about in life, right, there's a lot of times in life when we are in transition where we have to let go of one thing and we haven't yet grabbed hold of the other, right? So, so that's that time of transition and it's messy and it can be scary and it can feel uncomfortable unless we remind ourselves that all I have to do is grab onto the next, right? Now, unfortunately, sometimes in life, it takes a while for that bar to grab a hold of to show up, right? And so I may let go of one bar and still be in this place of like, I know what I want to have come, or I sense that something's coming, something bigger, something better, something new, something different, right? I sense that it's coming, but I don't know what it is yet. And can I allow myself to just keep breathing and to claim my life or reclaim my life through breathing? And I think that that's that important lesson, right? That I, I learned this several years ago. That's kind of that free fall if you, if you hear people talk about the free fall, right? It's this free fall from I'm, I'm letting go of one thing and I haven't quite grabbed hold of something. Now, sometimes in our life, that letting go process isn't a choice, right? I've had that before. Um, one time I was with my husband. We met my sister and her husband and another sister and her husband. So I have two sisters. So we met both of them and their husbands down in Grand Canyon and we were going to go on a hike. And so we were hiking. We had been you know, just hiking around the Grand Canyon. And I remember I was, you know, we were kind of in a single file line. It was just a dirt trail, um, not, not wide enough for two people to walk shoulder to shoulder. So we were just kind of in a single file line walking along the trail. And I don't even remember what happened, right? The next thing I know, I was falling. I was walking one minute, the next minute I'm falling. And I fell, I think my husband says it was about 20, 25 feet down the side of this hill, right? And I remember falling down and just hitting things. And I was just, I was in this free fall, right? And I couldn't really grab a hold of stuff. I couldn't even really think. And quickly, I mean, my brother-in-law was right behind me and I was following my husband. So my husband and my brother-in-law got down to me pretty quickly, thank goodness. And I was, I was okay. I was able to hike out. I was very sore the next day. I had a lot of bruising and scrapes and uh, my, I ripped my pants 
Um, but I was able to hike out and I was, I was okay. But that's one of those, like, I don't know what happened. I was going along fine. And the next thing I know I'm falling, right? Sometimes you have those experiences in life, not just like hiking, right? But I'm going along this way and all of a sudden I found out this information and it changed my life and I was in a free fall and life would never be the same, right? So you're going to have those experiences. Other times it's a choice, right? And we choose to jump into a free fall. So back at this professionals weekend that I did in Tennessee, another thing that we did is uh, we did some bungee jumping and I had never done this. I really don't like heights. Climbing up the, I think there was like four or five different sets of ladders that we had to climb up. I don't like to get on ladders. That was like, that freaked me out enough, right? To climb up the ladders to get up to the height. We were on an old dam, like a, I think they said it was built pre-Civil War dam, right? So then we had to kind of shimmy out the side of the dam to where the person who was helping us was, right? And then we had to shimmy out. I mean, like my whole length of my foot wouldn't fit on the ledge, right? So you're kind of holding on to this cement ledge and then your feet are halfway on a ledge and you're kind of shimmying out and then you have to flip around, right? So that you're facing where you're going to jump into, you know, so you're not, your back isn't to it. And then, you know, the, the instructor, the employee at the ranch kind of did some talking with us and some, some really cool, like, um, 12 step prayers and kind of asking us what was going on in our body. And, you know, I mean, for me, I remember I said to him, he said, what, what are you feeling right now? And I said, panic. And he said, okay, so you're afraid. And I was like, no, it's not fear. It's panic, right? In my mind, panic was much bigger than fear. And he was like, okay, so just notice that in your body. And I want you to just breathe, right? Just get some deep breathing going. Notice where you're feeling the panic. Notice where that fear is coming up in the body. And, you know, he's like, I I want you to be able to jump off, right? And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. And, and the other thing that he would ask, you know, he's like, I mean, you can jump, you can jump with your hands holding on to like the harness that's strapping you in. He's like, I mean, it's not going to do anything for you because that's not actually supporting you. I mean, it's supporting you right attached to the bungee, but it's not going to help me in the fall. And so he said, I want you to see if you can starfish it, right? Arms out, legs out, not holding on to anything and just jump. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do that, right? But I kept breathing, just kind of this, close my eyes so I'm not staring, you know, down the depths of this thing that I'm about to jump into and just kind of closing my eyes, get some good breathing going on. I noticed the fear, right? The fear, the panic, it never left me, but I was able to breathe and get some deep breaths, that belly breathing, even though there was panic and fear in my body. And he, you know, he was like, when you're ready, jump. And I did. And I did all, you know, starfish out, like arms out, legs out. I just jumped. It was, I don't know that I want to do it again, but it was one of the most exhilarating and empowering moments to just jump into life. Right. And now I've had some of those. I I would say, Uh, several of my business decisions, right? Opening up a clinic on my own was one of those. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I knew some of the hardship that it would bring. I didn't know all of it, but I jumped into that willingly, 
right? There's, there's some things in life that we know how difficult it's going to be. We know that it's going to really kind of create some chaos in our life. And we choose to go there anyway, right? So that's us having this choice and jumping into free fall. And then other times we're just going along in life and all of a sudden we're in free fall. And, and so I think whatever you, whenever you find yourself in that, right? Because you are going to find yourself in that. Life has free fall moments built into them. And if we can remember that those free fall moments happen to be a way of getting things into our life or out of our life in some really fast, oftentimes I talked with clients, they're like, I want this to happen fast, right? Well, free fall does that pretty quickly, except it doesn't feel good, right? And so most clients, most people, myself included, we don't actually like it happening fast because there's a lot that needs to happen when things are shifting. So I think we have to kind of remember that life is a series of free falls and it throws things at us that we didn't see coming. Or it asks us to jump knowing that it's going to be scary or it's going to be hard or there's going to be struggle and we need to jump anyway. And so it can freak us out, right? It can really create some panic and some hardship in our life and some difficulties. But during these times, our breathing may shift to short, shallow breaths. It may become difficult for us to breathe. We may disconnect and not even be mindful or aware of what our breathing looks like or what that feels like and what statement that makes about the emotional state that I'm in in my life. And yet, even in those circumstances, the same truth applies. We claim or reclaim our life by breathing. And the deeper, the better. So I hope that you can take that with you into whatever you're facing. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.